0: Welcome to Checking In. I'm Self Magazine's Editor-in-Chief, Carolyn Kilstra. Every week, people call us with questions and concerns about health and wellness. And I connect with experts, thought leaders, and others who've been there before to help them work through it and hopefully feel a bit better. Today, our listener is Alexa, a social media editor. She's basically always online, which you might be shocked to hear, does not make her feel awesome. She manages a huge number of accounts.
1: Okay, let me just count. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn, Tumblr, Flipboard. So I'm in charge of seven accounts. With the convenience of being home, I just like naturally started working more. I'm on Instagram on my desktop for whatever reason, I gave myself like this anxiety of, wow, like I constantly need to be working. And being a social media editor, it gets really tough because social media is 24-7. It's faster moving than a news cycle. I think finally, like the past couple of months, I hit this wall of, oh no, like I worked myself into the ground. (laughs) I actually started getting like headaches. And then I also noticed that I started clenching my teeth. You've created this... Um, work ethic, that it's hard to pull away from it now. And I think that's where I'm struggling.
0: So this is all really relatable, especially lately when a lot of us are working from home. It's so easy to spend the whole day on the internet and then at the end of the day, get on your phone and just scroll and scroll and scroll. And look, sometimes being connected like that, it's, it's a good thing especially in the middle of a pandemic when we're all still social distancing and maybe not seeing our people as much as we normally do. And social media can also be super helpful at keeping us informed about things that are important to know about in the world. But there's definitely a fine line between being an informed citizen and doom-scrolling. So I talked to somebody who knows how to strike that screen-slash-life balance. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Rachel Wilkerson Miller is a deputy editor at Vice Life, and she used to be a senior lifestyle editor at BuzzFeed. She's the author of two books, Dot Journaling and The Art of Showing Up, and she describes herself as a service journalist, which means that she helps people learn how to take care of themselves and others. Nowadays, that service often includes encouraging people to rethink their relationship with social media. This is actually something that she spent a ton of time doing in her own life. Rachel had a moment, similar to Alexa, where she realized that she needed to make some changes. That was right around the 2016 election.
2: Well, it was a couple things. First, I realized that I had gotten into the really bad habit of either texting and walking or like scrolling and reading while walking, which just felt really dangerous. So I really wanted to break that habit. And then I would often, the second I got home, would like flop down on the couch keep with the texting and also just scrolling through Twitter. And then before I knew it, it was like 7.30 and I hadn't really done anything with my night. She
0: realized that she had to cut back. She could be doing so much more with that time, stuff that actually made her feel good. How would you describe your personal relationship to social media right now?
2: I think it is fairly healthy, fairly intentional. I, right now, I Certainly scroll mindlessly more than I might like to, but I feel like on the whole, I'm able to recognize when it's going to an unhealthy place, stop doing it uh, when it's getting to that point, or at least be honest with myself
0: about what I'm doing when that's happening. Now, Rachel doesn't open Twitter first thing in the morning. Instead, she tries to open a few news websites first to read the real news instead of just getting swept up in the endless scroll
2: one of the things I did was not let myself go on Twitter during the day when I was at work, because sometimes I'd go on at 11 in the morning and it would be so bad that it was like, well, there goes my afternoon, because now I'm talking in three different Slack channels or group chats about what I just read and I can't stop thinking about it. So I just was like, not until 4 or 5 p.m. Can
0: you look at Twitter? So that helped. She made some other big changes, too. Instead of scrolling and walking, she listened to podcasts. And she also started journaling for 20 minutes after she got home from work. Because I think like after a day at work, you have a lot of, you have that like brain
2: on fire feeling a lot of the time of just like thoughts you want to put somewhere. And it's so easy to kind of put them into your texts or just like take all that energy and do nothing with it. And then after that, it was kind of like, okay, if you still want to go scroll, that's, you've kind of done this one thing. So it's okay. But a lot of times it kind of cut the urge and I was fine to like not pick up my phone for a couple more hours.
0: About social media though. So Mm -hmm. You talk a lot about, like, the scrolling, like, the doom scrolling, maybe. Um, Mm -hmm. What do you, like, why do you think, what do you think is so compelling about it? Why do you think we do it?
2: I think that, like, studies have shown that that, that, like, intermittent dopamine hit is actually the kind that we want the most versus a regular hit. And I think that's absolutely what's happening on social media.
0: Although I do, I will admit that, like, (sighs) like, is it dopamine when I'm actually just, like, reading and reading and reading and and building and building and building this horrible anxiety, this mounting.
2: Right. When it feels so bad.
0: (laughs) Right. It doesn't feel good at all. It's just like, what is compelling me to continue doing that?
2: I think that there is a sense of control from consuming it, that there's a feeling of like, if I just have all the information, then I will be safer. I'll be more prepared because I'll know what's coming. And like, that's not totally wrong. Like sometimes you really do need to know this stuff. It's entertaining or it's sort of that horrifying can't look away or it's mildly interesting and you never know what you're going to get. And it's usually a mixed bag. And I think that is why we can't look away because it's like, well, what if the next thing I read is like the thing, the most important thing or the thing everyone's going to be talking about or the thing that I needed to know?
0: It could all be important, but it probably isn't. And the problem is that there isn't an end. It just keeps going. It's not the
2: same as reading a newspaper, which is kind of curated for the most important things or the top level information or even like watching the nightly news, which is an even more narrow view of things. Mm. Um, There's there's just it's like bottomless. And I think that is also a
0: big reason why it feels so bad. That makes sense. But for Alexa, who wrote in asking for advice, it's her job to stay on social media. Do you have any advice for her? Like. How does she figure out like what's important for her to pay attention to and what she can let go of? You know,
2: I have to be sort of aware of what's going on in the world for my work, but I try to be thoughtful about who is actually going to provide that and where I can actually get it and like rely on things like Twitter lists or uh, searching for specific keywords or turning to a specific Reddit forum versus just like seeing all of that mixed in with everything else. Um, Because I think so often we go to a platform with the best of intentions, like I'm here for work, but then like most of what we're doing there isn't really actually helping us with the thing we're trying to do for work or we get so far from that.
0: Rachel says that it's important to keep your work, social media and personal social media separate. What would happen if I, like
2: what would happen in terms of my job if I spent one hour a night on Twitter versus two? Like would there be demonstrable negative effects? Maybe, like it really depends, but like being honest with yourself about how much you actually need to be there versus how much you are kind of using that as cover to keep doing a thing you want to do, I think is helpful.
0: A lot of people feel a duty right now to be engaged on social, to be posting things about voting and racial justice Mm -hmm. and COVID. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's, there's there's a real need to show up. I'm curious your thoughts on this. Like, how important is it? to be using social media for
3: good.
2: I think figuring out like, what is my role in all of this? How can I be genuinely helpful right now? What am I doing? And then asking yourself, okay, how am I actually doing that on a day-to-day basis? And and if, because I think it's really easy to feel like posting is enough and posting is genuinely, I think, helpful and important. I don't believe that it's
0: like silly or useless at all. But sometimes it is easier to be on social media than to do the actual harder work. But I think we can all sort of look at our networks and
2: our followings and those kinds of things and say, OK, is it is this the way for me to be the most helpful or would I be better off calling, you know, a friend or a family member and having a conversation with them one on one? And like, I don't think there's a perfect answer, but I think like kind of continuing to check in with yourself and saying, like, am I using social media as a crutch to post these things without actually engaging and doing the work? Like if you are spending all your time posting about anti-racism, but haven't read the four anti-racist books that you bought in June, like maybe you should, maybe you should log off for a few days and read them.
0: And then there's the pandemic. It can be hard to separate work social media use from personal social media use when it's so hard to keep your work and life spaces separate. That's something that Alexa asked about. What kind of boundaries would you recommend that she puts in place? Like if your bedroom is also your office?
2: Totally. So I actually had this at the beginning of the pandemic as well, because I was with my girlfriend and we were in her studio and like, it was a studio. It was really small. And like, we were two people like living and working in this very small space. And one of the things that we did was we set an alarm for the end of the day for six o'clock to remind us like your day is over, you stop working now. And then we put a duvet over her, like it was a quilt basically that we would throw over her bed in the evening and on weekends to like visually change the space into this like cozy setup. And we would um, pull the monitor off her desk and like set it up at the end of the bed.
0: It's all about creating some sort of shift in your environment that really helps you feel the difference between work and life. So you can rearrange your space like Rachel does. That's one way to make home feel more like home and less like work. And she has some other tricks too. Like you can change your clothes at the end of the day or light a candle. You can even take a walk around the block just to simulate a commute. I've actually kind of found something along those lines just in taking care of my kids. At the end of the day for me, it's a sign off of work and then immediately it's bath time and bedtime. And that's a full hour that I can't be looking at my phone. It puts me in a completely different headspace. And it's also something joyful, and it keeps me in the present moment. But what about after work and after dinner, even, when you're just sitting around on your couch doing nothing because we're in the middle of a global pandemic, and your phone is right there, and it's just so easy to look at Twitter? That's my biggest weakness. That's where I have the hardest time. And, and lately, I've been honestly, really desperate to find literally anything else in the world to fill my time and occupy my mind, which brings me to hobbies. I really, really need one. And it kind of sounds like Alexa might too. You're very, very good (laughs) at hobbies. Um, And that's something that I've always been very, very bad at. Um, So this is like selfishly, I've been excited about this conversation because I'm just like, I just want you to tell me all your secrets, like how you do it. Like, how do I develop hobbies in the first place?
2: I think that... If you're not a hobby person trying to pick up knitting or like playing a musical instrument might be way too high of a bar. And like just on every level, right? Like you have to buy things to do it. You have to either be good at it or you have to be comfortable being bad at it. Like there's so many, you have to do it regularly. There's a lot of barriers to entry there. And so I think if you can rethink the idea of having hobbies into something a little bit lower stakes,
0: Rachel notes the difference between hobby people and activity people. You don't actually have to learn to cook or cross-stitch, thank God. <laughs> Being an activity person could be watching stand-up comedy online or reading a book. And it also really does not have to be about self-improvement, which is also a bit of a relief.
2: It can also just be entertainment. Like, it can be, you know, it can be playing cards with or a game with people or doing a crossword puzzle. Like, it doesn't have to necessarily be um like crafty or artistic or leading to something bigger like sometimes you just need a way to spend your time and like that's totally fine.
0: So I'm trying to find all these different things that can like fill those little parts of my day um mm-hmm. where I have some downtime. I've been reading a lot of like trashy romance novels as mm-hmm. like a great that's been great because I barely have to use my brain and it's been really entertaining. Um I've been mm-hmm. playing video games, I've been doing crossword puzzles. But mm-hmm. then I also have this kind of concern in the back of my head like how much am i just trying to tune out and not have to think about what's going on and is that is that a problem
2: i think it's important to engage with things regularly and that's a good way to keep yourself honest so if you are reading the news or listening to a news podcast every morning and every evening or you're staying on top of it during the day at work i don't think there's any harm in not then doing it in the evening too. Like, I don't know what the exact right amount of news consumption is for every person every day, but I think it's good to remember that like people have been getting their news twice a day in the morning and the evening for decades. And I think that's a good kind of exercise to go through is like how much news do I personally need to be consuming and want to be consuming? It probably should be more than zero, but I don't think it actually needs to be Hours of news every day. It seems like you can reach a a sort of point of diminishing returns fairly quickly.
0: One of the things Rachel's been doing this year is watching actually a lot of reality television. And she's never really been a reality TV person before. But now it's kind of like a replacement for Instagram. They're kind of the same in a weird way.
2: Because it's kind of like this aspirational, but kind of chaotic and messy life that isn't mine, but feels like, I don't know, somehow relatable or something to that effect. And it's like no more, neither of them are more highbrow than the other. Um, but, but it's for me having something on television that is contained in episodes that has structure to it is like such a better use of my time than just scrolling endlessly. I think that we all want to be entertained. We all want to zone out a little bit. We all want to have a bit of fantasy. So whether that's a beach read or something else like quote unquote trashy, I think people need to like give themselves permission to let them like do that. Like if that's what is feeling good to you right now, you shouldn't necessarily feel guilty about that or like, oh, I could be spending my time doing something so much better. But like, I don't know, not every moment can be spent doing that stuff.
0: It's so funny that you say that um, because literally ever since I described these romance books that I'm reading as trashy, I've been feeling bad about it (laughs) because um, because they're not like trashy is the wrong word. It's like um, they're, I don't know, um, I've like discovered the subreddit. Fluffy is the better word, right? Like enjoyable, Mm -hmm. lighthearted. I've tried reading other things this year, things that I feel like I'm supposed to read, like the more literary stuff. But This is the genre that's truly just bringing me the most joy right now. And I've been going deep into the romance book subreddit, actually, and I'm getting so many great recommendations. Joy is really the word here. But there's also another hidden benefit to romance novels and reality television. It's kind of, sort of, a replacement for water cooler talk, in a way. Like that time that we spend with our colleagues and our friends in person that we just aren't really getting these days. And truly nothing replaces face-to-face connections, of course, but this can help fill the void at least. Like I could see Twitter being that office gossip if you let it become mm-hmm. that. And like how yeah. toxic is that? <laughs>
2: like, Yeah, I'm like all for finding other ways to, to get that right now that don't feel, that don't leave you feeling so empty inside.
0: Thank you again for talking with us. This is so great. Thank you. We'll be right back after this quick break. If you, like our listener Alexa, are eager to spend less time on social media or desperate to stop scrolling mindlessly, there are a lot of practical ways to try to occupy yourself instead. Like all the things that we just discussed, which can serve as real and valuable distractions. But you can also go in basically the exact opposite direction, away from distraction, and try to occupy your mind and time with something different, practicing mindfulness. Dr. Netta Gould is a clinical psychologist at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. She works with adult patients with anxiety and depression and spends a lot of her time helping people be more mindful and grounded in the present moment. We told Dr. Gould about Alexa's struggles and asked her if she had any advice for someone who can't get off of social media because it's her job. She had some tips that Alexa could follow to help make her screen time just a little bit more bearable.
3: One, set an intention. When we're on social media, we're kind of an autopilot, going from one thing to another, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling through these various feeds, So what we try to do is come out of the autopilot and recognize for a moment, okay, why am I going on the screen? What is my goal or purpose? And being aware of our experience then throughout that process. Two, before you start scrolling, pause and take a few deep breaths. I know many of us can't disconnect, um, so it might not be realistic to disconnect, but you can take breaks. And these are ways just to kind of reset the stress response very quickly, just to pause and pull ourselves out of that automatic pilot again, which does perpetuate some of our distress. Three, do an emotional check-in. Ask yourself, how am I feeling right now? I think that we fail to recognize that when we're on social media, it elicits a lot of different emotions for us. And we just kind of um, push those aside and keep plowing through. And then at the end of the day, we're overloaded with these different emotions. We haven't had time to process And just noting your emotions, labeling it, even if it's sadness or anxiety, jealousy, whatever it may be. I think it's important to recognize those feelings. And maybe you take a moment to think about why you might be having those feelings. So what triggered them? Four, practice gratitude. It's so hard when we're on social media and bombarded by all these different stimuli to filter out positives and negatives. We're just um, kind of going, going, going and bombarded by so many things. And I think it's important to step back and just practice what you're grateful for, maybe listing three things you're grateful for before logging on, maybe logging off. And these are ways to kind of override that negativity that the brain tends to focus on. So these are small kind of tweaks that we can make because most of us are on the screen for much of the day. Some people, you know, it's part of their job and they can't disconnect. But I think these small tweaks can make a difference.
0: You can also try a mindfulness exercise, something to bring you back to the present moment. Dr. Gould has one that you can do anywhere, anytime.
3: She'll take us through it now. Find a comfortable position for yourself. If you'd like, you can take a couple of deep breaths. And now notice five things that you see in your surroundings. Note four things that you can touch, three things you hear, two things you smell, and one thing you taste in your mouth. Our senses always reside in the present moment. So you can use this tool, 54321, to very quickly bring yourself back into this one moment. Dr.
0: Gould has a daily mindfulness workshop that you can attend virtually. It's free and open to the public. We'll link to it in our show notes. I hope this was helpful to you, Alexa, and to everyone else in the audience who is doom scrolling as you listen to this episode. Thanks so much for checking in. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate and leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. It helps new listeners find the show. You can find additional information and episode references in the show notes. Follow Self on Instagram at Self Magazine and follow me, I'm at Carolyn Kilstra. On our audio team, supervising producer is Odelia Rubin, lead producer is Haley Fager, executive producer is Shara Morris, producer is Phoebe Unterman, Associate producers are Andrea Batanzos and Kate Mishkin, and sound engineer is Scott Somerville. On the SELF team, the editorial lead is Sarah Yalowitz, special projects director is Amy Eisinger, researchers are Amy Marturana-Winderall and Colleen de Belfond, and production manager is Nico Steele. The theme music is by Biscuit & Butter, courtesy of Blaze Unlimited, LLC. Special thanks to Julie Shen and Neon Home Media. Thanks for listening. See you next week.